Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive in scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 384 is recorded live October 18th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the west side or the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where the grass is getting a little crunchy. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm doing pretty good. And when you mean crunchy, you must mean because we had frost. We had frost. Now, you're close enough to the Lake Michigan shore. Did you avoid the frost last night? Uh, no. It looked like I had snow on the lawn this morning. Yeah, so... Yeah, a little crunchy if you were walking across your lawn. It was it was making all sorts of funny sounds, but uh or it looked like my hair. <laughs> it's just uh what happens with fall. Uh, it seemed like fall we we went from 80 90 degree weather to frost in less than 3 days. It's going to be an interesting football game tomorrow night, meaning chilly side, I'm sure. Just so it's yeah. not raining, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, so it it should be good overall, and we'd like to thank everybody who is listening to the podcast and downloading it, and I have to apologize for last week. The audio was a little bit messed up. You're getting everything all tweaked. Uh, Mac for uh, was was a little strong in, in the audio there, and then I was a little weak, so hopefully we've taken care of it for this week. Uh, so things should be a little bit more balanced. We're also trying a new audio recording service, so... Uh, I should sound pretty similar to what you're used to hearing me, but Mac should be a little clearer consistently uh, because it won't depend on my connection to Mac. It's Mac's connection to our uh, server. And uh, the audio is being recorded by a, a, a audio bot called Craig. So hopefully Craig makes it all the way through the show and we'll have it good. And also I am running on battery power. I left my charger at work so i'm at 67 percent. so maybe as the show goes i will we'll do a countdown and if we get to about 15 or 20 percent, it seems that this battery on this uh macbook air uh you know it's kind of like my gas tank in the in the vehicle the top half seems to last forever but the bottom half goes really quick i think that's on everybody's yeah so the first article we have is a follow-up to last week and it, and it was published probably within 24 hours. So it's not a huge follow-up, but this is, if you remember, we had the uh, car that was found in the quarry and it says man's body found in second car had been underwater in a quarry for a long time. And this is from M live, which is a, is a nice website on Michigan news. Monroe Township, a body found inside a second car in a quarry in southwest Michigan, has been underwater for a long time, authorities said. The body was found Wednesday in Lake Monroe, which is an old quarry in the Monroe area, according to the Associated Press. Police recovered the vehicle after a scuba diver told authorities it was under the water. A dive team, towing company, and others worked to pull the blue Chevy Impala out of the water this week. The body found inside was that of a male, but police have not released the appropriate age or any clues to the person's identity. An autopsy was planned by the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office. 
according to Monroe News. Also found underwater was an SUV that had been reported stolen from Monroe County of Sheriff's officials there said. That second vehicle was also pulled out of the quarry. There is no known connection between the two finds. Uh, but what re- really got my attention was, did you see the photo? That yeah. Gives you, that gives you a nice idea. They're they're pulling that up. It's not like, uh, you know, I'm picturing, especially when you looked at it in the map, you know, there's roads around it all the way. And I'm thinking it's like out by us, you have a lot of these. They're not public access ponds or lakes. Okay, who's who's talking to me in Russian? No, now they're not anymore. Uh, but you you have a lot of these. They're like private ponds and lakes, uh, but they almost come to the road. So I'm picturing something almost road level. This is quite a a depth. That's uh from that surface down to where they were. That was probably twenty feet. Would you say? Fifteen, anyway. Yeah, but that's like the quarry I used to dive over in Monroe. That's where the the guys would do clip diving off of it. Yeah, that would not be because it's got a slope to it. So you've really got to get some depth out. And yep. you can see right here, if you look to that car's tire all the way to the left of that photo, you can see that there's like a little ledge there. Yeah. If you don't clear that, like you said last week, you're you're uh, going to have a bad day. So, and then I went through the the uh, earlier today. I went through the chat, uh, not chat, the comments. View the comments for the article and. It didn't look like they had any more information, so everybody's probably waiting for the official autopsy coroner's report uh, before they say anything more. And then we have an article from the Daily Star out of the UK, and it says, A Nazi shipwreck on the verge of creating the biggest ever ecological disaster with a deadly leak. And they've got ever all capitalized. So I, mean, I, I Sometimes I wish that this didn't, um, this paper didn't have good articles, but they do, but the, the clickbait drives me nuts. So what it is, it's a German oil tanker, Franken, which was sunk by Russian warplanes on April 8th in 1945. It now sits at the bottom of the Bay of, uh, Bay of was that Glansk, uh, near Poland. To this day, it holds 1,500,000 liters of fuel, which would not be a good thing if it leaked. Divers have found the wreck is a serious risk of collapsing, which could result in the oil in the hold and create a potentially large ecological disaster in the region. All wildlife in this area could potentially die if the spill happens. Olga Sama, uh, chair for the Marine Conservation Group, the Mare Foundation, said. Also, the economic impact would be huge for the whole region. Footage posted by the foundation shows divers assessing an algae-covered wreck. They pass over where the tanks, such as the... Uh, Bank Hawk, an, ex, an expert in the Marine Institute of Glansk, admits we are facing a major environmental problem here. To make matters worse, it's believed the Franken holds a mix of heavy and light oil. Heavy oil is a type of oil that would just go to the bottom and spread over the bottom of the bay, killing everything in the area, said Olga. If it's light oil, that's more dangerous because it'll go to the surface and then sea currents can move it towards the beaches. And since currents in Glansk are unusually are usually towards the beach, we are talking about 80 kilometers of beaches that can be hit, said Olga. It's impossible to predict exactly when the wreck will collapse, but Olga explained that it's obviously deteriorating. The way it's positioned in the bottom of the sea between the two dunes and the current goes precisely between them constantly washes over the ship, she added. 
So the moment the steel cannot hold the ship's weight anymore, it will break into this space between the dunes. It comes after CIA-held files and covered by Daily Star Online appeared to reveal Nazi leader Adolf Hitler was gay. So what does that have to do with anything? Meanwhile, the late hit dictator's great-nephew has revealed he doesn't like Donald Trump. What? What is... <laughs> uh, everything's got politics, John. Does it say well, all... That's what it is. Yeah. How deep is it? Does it say? I'm um, looking through. I'm not seeing anything... On the depth, I wonder if we look for uh, oil tanker Franken, if we can find out where it is. One would say that if you have an idea and the depth is not really outrageous, you would start making preparations to start sucking that oil out now before it had a chance to come out by itself. Then you'd also put the boom around it, maybe a couple of different types. So if it did leak out and up, the booms would start catching it before, you know, you could start containing it and sucking it up from the boom area. Yeah. I haven't watched the video, but looking at the video, you can see two divers. Uh, and I'm going to say by, I mean, they're definitely tech divers. So I'm betting it's got to be in about the 250 to 300 range by how they're geared up. But every, every time I go there, I it blanks mine out and says I have to you know, look at all of their ads and stuff before I have access. Oh. And that's where the Russian was coming from. Yeah. Let me see. I, I kicked mine off so you wouldn't hear that Russian lady talking. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I'm doing a search on this, and this was an article very big in July. So this just seems to be a uh, a rehash of something that had run before, and I'm trying to see if I can find any of these that will have a depth. So I'm going to go to website polandenglish.info, which it looks like I'm. they have a little bit. They say uh, <laughs> that the, it was funny. The, uh, the, the It's the English version of the site, but the cookie agreement was in Polish. So either I just agreed to let them put cookies on my system or I've signed up to... Uh, marry somebody's daughter or something. I'm not sure. Uh, in April 2018, the Mayor Foundation specialized in protection of marine life found uh, 1.5 million liters or 400,000 gallons. The wreck is 179 meters long. I'm going to mute this because I have a feeling it's going to play on me any moment. You also wonder how long they've known it's there. The one foot photo they're showing of it it looked it doesn't look as deep as i thought it was uh it's got an angle where you can see the it's either very clear water or it's that making me i'm going to revise my estimate thinking now it's about the 200 range uh so cleaning the wreck will undoubtedly be very expensive but the cost will be much lower than environmental and financial loss incurred by poland in the case of an uncontrolled leakage and contamination of the bay experts estimate the cleaning costs could be between 20 and 30 million euros. Huh. They say the damage would be 500, but I don't think that's euros. It's PLN. So it must be a Polish currency. The interesting part was I put ticking time bomb shipwreck, and I have one dated October 15th, 2018. And they're talking about a newly made discovery, long lost shipwreck makes news 
with everything from the Titanic to the lost ship of Captain Cook. And they're talking about none of these shipwrecks are as dangerous as the one we have today. Richard S.S. Montegro, Liberty ship from the U.S. bringing 9,000 pounds by explosives. And it talks about if this goes off, it's going to screw up England. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what? Yeah, I have no idea. So I'm not getting anything in the depth, but by looking at this photo, how they have another angle of the the wreck, and it looks quite a bit clearer. So that's making me think it's got to be in about the 200-foot range. So maybe somebody can find out and let us know. I'm going to divert just a second. I'm I'm reading the itinerary what's on this boat. There's 286 giant 2,000-pound blockbuster bombs. 4,439,000 pound bombs, an assorted 2,500 cluster bombs, and other materials. If that does go off, that's going to be one hell of a note on the Richter scale. It will make a little bit of a boom. It said a similar wrecked munitions vessel four miles out the sea triggered an explosion that measured 4.5 on the Richter scale and damaged property nearby folk. This one here is closer to the shore. It says if this one goes off as a spontaneous detonation of the entire cargo, the column will be hurled up 1.8 miles in the air and send a 40-foot tsunami sweeping up the Thames and along the Kent coast. So cool. it sounds like they got a serious problem here. It does. And they got a real nice picture of it, too. Uh, it's broken in half. Really nice shot, too. Oh, I got to send this to you. Okay. Actually, let's see. Can I send it over here? I'll send it to everybody else so they can take a look at this. Yeah, you this can put is it interesting. In the, the chat room. So if you're missing joining us every Thursday about 9.30 p.m. is when we, we start thinking about recording. It sometimes takes us a little bit. But on Discord, uh, you can get in and listen live. So you can find links to that on our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. You click on over the Discord channel. Uh, and if you happen to be a Patreon donor uh, of $3 or more, you'll get the show notes early so you can even load them up and follow along. And we certainly appreciate that. So Max put that in the chat room. Yeah, that's an interesting article here. Very cool. Well, I am sitting at about 56%. So this may be a uh, part one or part two. We'll see how fast it goes. It seems to be picking up speed. Uh, We've got an article that now says a modern-day plastic has been found covering a historic shipwreck in U.K. waters. They said modern-day plastic bottles alongside Heineken beer and 7-Up drink cans have been found on a 1758 shipwreck in Portsmouth Harbor. The rubbish has settled on the ship called HMS Invincible because a wreck acts as accumulation points for waste. Kevin Stratford from the Marine Archaeological Sea Trust told the BBC. The trust said divers have found a surprisingly large quantity of stuff that could potentially impact marine life. Some of it was decades old. The ship cascaded, uh, capsized between Langston Harbor and the Isle of Wight after its rudder jammed. It gets in the way of archaeology, but it is also highlighting potential that this and other shipwrecks to act as collection points for rubbish. The material slowly breaks down the wrecks and likely pollutes much of the marine Life inhabiting them, the diving community has long been involved in cleaning up our oceans as we are the people who get to see the high-level pollutants firsthand. 
earlier this month, a, a team of Coast Guards on Breen Beach in Birmingham, Somerset, found almost pristine 47-year-old fairy liquid bottle that had been washed into the beach during the storm, highlighting just how long plastic waste sticks, sticks around in the ocean. The picture of the diver on that wreck is neat looking. Look how nice that wood looks. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice photo. But, I mean, that's something that we've known for a while. Not only, I mean, we see that in, in the Great Lakes because it preserves even stuff that should break down fairly rapidly. And golf balls is a perfect example. I mean, they, they float around the bottom until they get to a wreck and that hangs up on it. Uh, and that's exactly what's in the middle of that pile, too, is a golf ball. Yellow. Yep. So if you were diving, that would be an official dive. Now, what is that in the middle of that? Is that a small cannon? Because that's what it looks like. <laughs> it may be. It's, it's, I, I can't tell. But, uh, sure does look like Yeah, I would think that, in a, uh, depending on what uh, HMS Invincible. I would say that that would be something that sounds like it would have a cannon on it. Well, 1758 shipwreck. Yep, that, that looks like one of those side cannons for pulling borders. Nice picture, though. And it, I'm trying to determine if he's on a rebreather. Uh, no, he isn't, but he's still got an interesting configuration on his back, though, doesn't he? Yeah. And he doesn't have gloves on, so it can't be too cold there. That looks like a decent shipwreck there. Yeah. Another one on my bucket list, which I'll never get to dive on. True, but I'd go down and pick up the plastic, and I wonder if those are 10 cent can deposits. Because if they are, you're going to make a fortune on that place. I, I don't know. Do they have deposits in the UK? I don't know. Or Europe? There's, somebody will tell us. It seems like they should. And then the uh, next article we have is from the um, ACK.net. Is that Auckland News? It says, underwater gardening restores bay scallop habitat. Emily Molden, a team of volunteers diving in Hussey Shoal, a no-anchor zone and healthy eelgrass bed in Nantucket Harbor. They're removing and transplanting some of the eelgrass shoots, excuse me, shoots into the barren half-acre lots of the harbor covered in and off the second pier of Montgomery. We're essentially gardening underwater, Molden said, resource ecologist for the Nantucket Land Council, NLC, said. We had a great support from volunteers and the town. But taking eelgrass out of the ground some 20 feet below the surface, moving it and planting it in a new location does present some challenges. It's hard to grow eelgrass where it's not currently growing, but this is the perfect opportunity for us to try out. There's usually a reason it's not growing. We believe it's just buried by sand, and eelgrass can only tolerate so much sand. This must have been a significant sand movement. The idea of restoring Harbor eelgrass came after a 1915 NLC aerial map showed significant decline in eelgrass beds since the last mapping in 1995. The work is funded through the NLC's Water Fund, which directs donations to a variety of marine and freshwater protection efforts, according to an NLC press release. Whatever it takes. That looks quite interesting. Again, it looks relatively shallow, uh, no hood. Yeah. So the water's got to be moderate. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, this is a current. Yeah. And they and they, they said, yeah, sand covers it up and kills it, but then they're planting it right in sand. So hopefully that's enough nutrients or whatever it needs. I don't know the biology of eelgrass. Uh, so hopefully it goes in. We've, we covered that. Well, it's probably been a year or two ago. 
they had an article. So it's good to see that they're doing some some restoration. And the mystery of the secret Confederate submarine Hunley is solved. This is according to DailyMail.com. Scientists finally reveal why world's first sub to sink an enemy ship then sank itself, killing all eight crew on board. The first submarine to down an enemy ship was sunk itself after the crew failed to release an emergency weight to help it surface. Crew aboard the Confederate vessel H.L. Hunley did not disconnect to 1,000 pound keel blocks to help it rapidly surface, resulting in the sub being trapped underwater and the men dying from lack of oxygen. Scientists removed the corrosion, silt, and shells from the boat found the levers all locked in the regular position, solving a mystery dating back to 1864. The blocks would keep would typically keep the sub upright, but it could also be released with three levers. That would allow it to surface rapidly, archaeologist Michael uh, Scrufuri, who had worked at the submarine for 18 years, said. It's more evidence there wasn't much of a panic on board. The Hunley and its eight crew disappeared in February 1864 in Charleston Harbor shortly after signaling it had placed explosives on the hull of the Union ship. The USS, was that Housatonic? Um, and then they got some nice photos here. Some of these have been hand-colored. The pictures and stuff of the preservation stuff is outstanding. This is one of the most in-depth items I've seen on Huntley ever. Yeah. It must cost a fortune to do what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Well, like he's been working on it 18 years, oh. and, they, and they've and flooded it. I think when we were down there diving uh, in the Cooper River, uh, they were almost getting to the point where they were going to have some of it out of the tank where you could actually see it, because I think at that point there was nothing to show. Right, and they have a an exact duplicate on the outside of the museum. Yes. Yeah, they've got this colorized, looks like a postcard. Uh, and then they have one where it shows uh, one of the two preserved keel blocks that were removed from the Hunley submarine. And it looks like they've done an excellent job in preserving that. The doomed Confederate crew did not release the emergency mechanism, mechanism that could have helped the vessel surface quickly. Well, they may have been sitting there for a little bit waiting for all the flame and fire to go down before they came up, because then they'd be a perfect target. Yes. That's a good article. Yeah, I like the photo. They even have a diagram showing it. And that oh, there's was a video, not- too. Did you yeah. see the video just got in? No, I, 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 if I try that, it will kill Whoa. the connection. I but didn't the, try uh, it. It just jumped out there at me. <laughs> but looking at this uh, diagram, that was a fairly sophisticated object that they had made. They knew that that when that blew, uh, there'd be some potential damage. So they had that torpedo way out in front. Oh yeah. Says the Hunley delivered a blast from 135 pounds of black powder below the water line, the stem of the house tonic, or is it Husa tonic sinking the union ship and Obsessed episode 384 and a half was recorded live October 26, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Well, we're going to give it another try. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How you doing today, Mac? 
I'm doing very well. Uh, we're starting to have that frost on the pumpkins several days in a row, so it's getting chilly during the evenings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you want to have a nice uh, plug-in blanket or or somebody to keep you warm because it is getting cold. Well, it's more like football when you got on Friday nights now. Yeah, yeah, it do, does feel like football weather. Uh, but there's not too much football left. Uh, high school's got to be. I think we've had our last home game. I think now well, they're, they're starting in the playoff season, aren't they? Yep, I was going to say, uh, Berrien's done pretty good. I think you guys lost last week, as I recollect, because you are almost undefeated for a while. Uh-huh. And I know that uh, tomorrow night be the first playoff game for uh, Edwardsburg, so I'm going to go with that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they continue to win, then they get to play at home. Wow, that's excellent. So it is that time of the year where we see things going on. I have to apologize for last week. We, we were trying a new recording, which was working great. Sounds really good, but we only got about 20 minutes of a hour and a half episode. So this is a part two. So those in the chat room are going to say there's a little bit of deja vu hearing it from before. Um, and before we get into that, because this will probably be pieced on to the end of the other one. Um, no, no let's, let's just go right on in. So. Uh, Without any further ado, we'll continue where we accidentally left off. Uh, let's see. This this is going to be uh, modern-day plastics has been found covering historic shipwreck in U.K. waters. Uh, plastic bottles alongside Heineken beer and 7-Up drink cans have been found in a 1758 shipwreck in Portsmouth Harbor. The, rub, the rubbish has settled on – is that you saying something, Mac, or do we got a audio – that's, well, it's not me. It's not Try you. Try to be quiet. No, it's not you. So I'm uh, I'm just going to mute another tab. I had something coming through. Um, the sneaky buggers they are that way. Uh, the trust said uh, divers had found surprisingly large quantities of stuff which could potentially impact marine life. Some of it was decades old. The ship cascaded, cascaded capsized between Langston Harbor and the Isle of Wight. Uh, after its rudder jammed, Stafford toured the BBC of the waste. It gets in the way of archaeology, but is also highlighting the potential for this and other shipwrecks to act as collection points of rubbish. The material slowly breaks down in the wrecks and likely pollutes much of the marine life inhabiting them. The diving community has long been involved in cleanup our oceans, and as we see, as we are the people who get to see the high level of pollutants firsthand. Earlier this month, a team of Coast Guards on Breen Beach in Birmingham, Somerset, found almost pristine 47-year-old fairy liquid bottle that had been washed onto the beach during a storm, highlighting just how long plastic waste sticks around in the oceans. And we we see this quite a bit. I, I haven't seen this extent that they have in the picture. Now, did they really bring up that cannon and call it trash? Well, it is a big hunk of metal, you know what I mean? Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. we could have them put that in our little cart and we take it in for salvage, maybe. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it just is an odd, I don't know if they're doing it for just a photo opportunity to shock, but would they be allowed to bring that up? I have it's not a clue. That, in, I mean, it looks like that. But look at that. You've got, a, what is it, a tennis ball? Those cans look new. Yeah. There's no but, rust on that stuff. Yeah, they've got some where they, they've got the pull top. Uh, yep. Do they have, do they still use the pull top in the UK or they have they gone to the flip top like we've got? Well, it looks like they're both in that. I'm looking at that a little bit. Oh, yeah, there is one there in the lower left that looks like yeah. it's the flip top. 
Yeah, but there's a lot of pull tops. Uh, I still like that picture below it where the guys with the light looking at the wood. That wood looks really nice. Yes, that is is in nice condition. Yeah. Yeah, we I don't see wood that smooth. Ours all have zebras on it. Quaggas. Quaggas, that's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> Quaggas, zebras. Just say mussels. Mussels. So but that's, that's quite a bit of plastic there. Oh, yeah. And and it makes sense because we we've talked about it before. It seems like the wrecks uh, kind of created, at least in Lake Michigan, the bottom tends to be sandy in a lot of spots, and uh, you'll kind of get a bowl around the the wreck where things will collect. Yeah, I would have expected more more algae and formations on the can, especially since that is salt water. And I never thought about it until right now. But how does salt water affect the aluminum? Doesn't that prove that also or not? It seems like eventually it would corrode it. I would think so. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It would it would make sense that it would. But maybe this is because it's, is it in a bay? Is it maybe brackish? Is it kind of on that edge between? Because even that cannon isn't that encrusted. Well, Portsmouth Harbor, that's, I don't know. I don't know where that is in relationship to bodies of water. Well, let's head to the next one. Underwater gardening restores Bay Cal- the Goodness. Maybe, maybe last week Craig just shut us off. He said I couldn't pronounce anything. Uh, underwater gardening restores bay scallop habitat. Uh, volunteers are diving in the Hussey Soul, uh, no anchor zone, and healthy eelgrass bed in Nantucket Harbor, and removing and transplanting some of the eelgrass shoots that are there to barren half-acre lot in the harbor, covered in sand off the second pier in Monomay. Is that Monomay? M Monomoy. Monomoy, maybe. Uh, we're essentially gardening underwater, Molden's resource ecologist of the Nantucket Land Council said. We had great support from volunteers in the town, but taking eelgrass out of the ground some 20 feet below the surface, moving it and playing it in a new location does present some challenges. We had to grow eelgrass when it's not currently growing, but this is the perfect opportunity to try it out. There's usually a reason it's, reason it's not growing. We believe this was just buried by sand, and the old grass can only tolerate so much sand. This must have been significant sand movement. The idea of restoring harbor eel grass came in the 2015 NLC aerial mapping showed significant decline in the eel grass bed since our last mapping in 1995. The work is funded through the NLC's Water Fund, which directs donations to a variety of marine and freshwater protection efforts, including to an NLC press release. To read the complete story, they're going to do some advertisements. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see they're doing it. Hopefully it does introduce some habitat. Uh, you wonder how long do these trends go? If the sand covers it up, does it eventually seed again, or is it just gone? It's hard for it to seed on its own. I was also looking at that wondering how much do they have to put out, you know, every so many feet or what? Because it doesn't look like a lot of spacing there, and that must have just got started because I only see two transplants. Yeah, so I'm wondering, is this kind of like hair plugs? You, you just you, <laughs> you, put, you put them in a certain spot and pretend like they, they look smooth, or will they grow together? I, I don't know. Well, they might have a follow-up down the road to tell us how that works. Yeah. And then the mystery of the Confederate submarine Hunley is solved. Scientists finally reveal why world's first sub 
to sink an enemy ship, then sank itself, killing all eight crew on board. The Hunley, which was the first submarine to down an enemy ship, was sunk itself after its crew failed to release an emergency weight to help it resurface. Crew aboard the Confederate vessel did not disconnect to 1,000-pound keel blocks to help it rapidly resurface, resulting in the sub being trapped underwater and the men dying from lack of oxygen. Scientists removed the corrosion, silt, and shells from the boat, found the levers all locked in their regular position, solving a mystery dating back to 1864. The blocks would typically keep the sub upright, but could also be released with three levers. That would allow it to surface rapidly. Archaeologist uh, Michael Scafuri, who has worked in a submarine for 18 years, said, It's more evidence that there wasn't much of a panic on board. The Hunley and its eight crew members disappeared in February 1864 into Charleston Harbor shortly after signaling it had placed explosives on the hull of the Union ship, the USS Houstonic. I'm scrolling down to the photos. Uh, the Hunley delivered its blast from 135 pounds of black powder below the waterline at the stern of the Houstonic, sinking the Union ship in less than five minutes. Uh, the Houstonic lost five seamen, but came to rest upright in 30 feet of water, which allowed the remaining crew to be rescued after climbing the rigging and deploying lifeboats. Ever since the Hunley was raised from the ocean floor in 2000, scientists have worked to determine why the sub never returned to the surface. And they got some nice images in this article. I was curious how they had any directional idea of where the heck they Once you're underwater, I don't remember seeing canopies or ports they could look out of. Well, this one, do you see that bottom, that drawing all the way in the bottom where it shows them side by side? Uh, actually, I do. Conning tower. Yeah, it looks like they've got a couple, yeah. like, yeah, it does, conning tower with a little porthole. So, so I imagine that a majority of the time it's spent, like, kind of like how the, just, just yeah, barely under the surface. If you see that, that cutaway view, they show yeah. just a single person. I think that's probably its normal uh, moving. And then they probably uh, did something, you know, adjusted their buoyancy at the very last. Um, let's see if do we have it. Oh, yeah. And this one shows that uh, if you looked, they had the torpedo out there, which was yep. quite a bit out. So they were trying to get that far enough away from the vessel so they could, you know, attach it and then uh, get away. All right. I see the viewports now looking at that cup. Excuse me, the cutaway. And since they weren't going deep on purpose, uh, they wouldn't have any leakage problem. You know, yeah, you regular class. I'm just still curious, though, if everything was working, there was no panic. One would think that after a little bit, when it's like, hey, it's hard to breathe, guys, did we pull the handle? Does that I sound think, logical? It does, but I think one of two things happened. They either blacked out before they realized it, or it exploded, and it just knocked them out. I personally, I think it's due to the explosion. You know, when they say no panic, well, if you're unconscious, you're not going to. Right. Yeah. If you if you can't pull the lever, that doesn't mean you're panicked. It means you're maybe dead, yeah. or uh, or or just unconscious to the point. If you you know if you were damaged, because uh, there's an article we covered oh, about six months ago, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but that one kind of went along with my the theory I just said. So. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I love the photo where they're showing it in the preservation tank, kind of laying yeah. there on its side. I can't even imagine how much money that has cost them. Oh, yeah. 
And I just am really curious about returning on the investment. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing there wasn't much return on investment. But yeah, I don't think there was any. I th- did you see the picture where it ha- uh, has here? Eight school children can barely cram themselves into a replica. Oh, <laughs> I mean, which means ain't no way in blazes you and me could have been, you and I. Yeah, so eight school children. Wow. Oh, well, they made the people a lot smaller back then, too, though. Yeah, you, you had malnutrition just as, as a, wasn't uncommon. You didn't have well, the selection of food we have now. Uh, well, I think back in what? 63, the standard height for a, a man was like 5'8 and 160 pounds. Wow. I think that's my right leg. Well, it's like, well, all their hormones and stuff you're getting now, I oh, believe, <laughs> through a lot of what we eat, mm-hmm. have made a significant difference. Because I know that you take a look at a lot of the young ladies nowadays, and they didn't look like that 30 years ago. I think the growth yeah. hormones have made a significant difference in everybody. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with you there. Those guys must have all, you know, been awful small if they couldn't get eight kids in. Yeah. <laughs> and then this uh, following one we have on the docket: uh, technology advances search for Lake Erie's shipwrecks. Underwater archaeologists are using the latest technology search for shipwrecks and explore ancient landscapes in Lake Erie. Using scientific instruments such as side scan sonar, magnetometers, sub bottom profiles, f- profilers, archaeologists are discovering shipwrecks as well as features of ancient landscapes that are inundated by rising lake levels. In May 2018, Coastal Environments Inc. used its technology to investigate selected areas within a 30 mile section of the Lake Erie Bottom off the coast of Ashtabula County. Ohio State Historic Preservation Office funded the effort to locate and identify potential submerged cultural resources. Those resources include historic shipwrecks, of course, but also relic steam channels where ancestors of American Indians, oh, I I said steam, stream channels where ancestors of American Indians lived between 10,000 to 5,000 years ago when Lake Erie was 40 to 60 feet shallower than today. The CEI team submitted its preliminary findings to Preservation Office in July. 63 shipwrecks are reported to be in the bottom of Lake Erie in the vicinity of Ashtabula County. The CEI team decided to focus its search on those for which are already had good information about their location. In some cases, local divers had already discovered wrecks, but exact locations hadn't been recorded. The CEI team documented the remains of five shipwrecks. The James F. Joy three-masted schooner that sank in 1887, just east of Ashtabula Harbor, Wonder. Oh, uh, a wood hull propeller tug that sank in the same area in 1908, the Dixie, a dredge that sank in 1964, about five miles northeast of Ashtabula Harbor, possible hull sections of other shipwreck components near the reported wreck of the Charles B. Hill, a wood hull passenger freighter that ran aground in 1906 near Madison on the lake, a large shipwreck, which a team thinks is likely a four-masted schooner Yukon, which sank about three miles off Ashtabula in 1905. The CI team also identified relic steam, a stream channel where the Wheeler Creek flows in a lake just west of Geneva on the lake, another to the west of Madison on the lake. These channels are likely places to look for ancient American Indian campsites that could provide insights in the formerly inaccessible chapter of Ohio's past, and there may be the focus of future research. When the Pantsing Curator of Archaeology at the Ohio History Collection, who was a consultant on the project, said the data proved 
provided by CEI will further our understanding of how well Ohioans from all time utilize the lake environment. Reflecting on the results of the project, Principal Investigator Amanda Evans said she was surprised that the Ashtapilla shipwrecks were so well preserved. In a shallow water, they expect shipwrecks to be chewed over by waves and storm. We found well-preserved large pieces of ships. For Evans, the biggest takeaway from the work is that Ohio's amazing shipwrecks, you just have to look for them. They always say well-preserved, but we know that's a matter of uh, interpretation. So is is well-preserved means not as bad as we thought it would be, or is it really preserved? So that, that article we talked about, the underwater gear, uh, you know, they said they just had to, to search for them. And uh, that makes me think of uh, this this weekend, uh, previous to this recording, uh, Great Lake, the Great Lake Shipwreck and Recovery, not Shipwreck and Recovery, I can't remember the name now. It's pretty embarrassing. Uh, Search and Recovery. That's what they do. Great Lake Search and Recovery was out in in Sagatuck looking, and they got to try out some new gear they've got. They've got a, what what were they calling it? It was, it's a, it's a side scan, but it's a live scan. Right. Basically, it'll give you a 360 degree shot. And basically what you want to do is go down, get stable. Anchor yourself for point mooring or something like this. You put the head down, do a 360, and it maps really, really nice. So if there's a body or something, you will be able to find it. And if you have a diver down and he's going slow enough, you can track him and tell him which direction to go, if he's got camo, to find the object that you're looking at. Oh, wow, that is interesting. Yes. I, yeah, I, I, I haven't a chance, had the chance to watch any of the videos they shot. It sounded like we had a little bit of a learning curve on it. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, they the, just got that. Yeah. So you you know you have to put some of the digital film in there and that that makes a difference too. So there's all sorts of little odds and ends that you got to do, but it was a good good chance to get out there and even though the organization didn't find the individual, uh they were found a couple days later. Yep. Yep. Well, he he uh, actually floated. Oh, was and- that what happened? Right, and he was in an area that had already been searched and declared clear by the other team. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's, just, it's easy to do. If you have low vis and you go right by them, it's, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And then we have... It's uh, called that, that item they have, uh-huh. by the way, is, is Panotix, P-A-N-O-P-T-I-X, Live View. I like this, it adds a new dimension to side scan and down scan. And I like this, it's an ideal tool for checking under the docks around fallen trees that are sticking out of the bank in the river, which is very valuable, especially in the river. Yeah, they had like a little five-second video they shot uh, from a distance looking at mm-hmm. the screen. And just the resolution and speed at which the data was coming was amazing. I mean, it's I, and I was amazed by what we currently get with the the other side scans. So this is right. phenomenal what it's able to do. Uh, and if you're willing to help out the organization, you go to Facebook page and look for the Great Lake Search and Recovery. And uh, I know they could use the help because that that gear is not free, and they are a nonprofit. So they are looking for donations to help them operate. They never charge the families for any of the work they do. 
Then this next article is a shipping black spot, largest find of shipwrecks in the Mediterranean intensifies in Greece. Maritime uh, marine archaeologists have an unprecedented discovery of shipwrecks in one area of the seabed, numbering 58. It is the largest such find in history of the Mediterranean, the wrecks that lie off the small archipelago and the Aegean Sea include vessels from ancient Greece right up to modern times. As experts suspect that those wrecks are from ancient times, contain many precious artifacts, it is expected that the find could become part of the most important marine archaeological find in the 20th century. Well, when you're working over a mile deep and mm-hmm. you're into the bottom, you probably don't have as much uh, oxygen and therefore it's going to be more preserved. And you're not having any sponge divers who've been down there salvaging anything. Back in the day, uh, Ken Bass used to be my sort of idol because he worked out in the Mediterranean. And he was digging in shipwrecks. And then he'd be digging one, got by it, and then noticed that, wait a minute, this is on top of another one. And then they dig deeper and deeper. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, there's a third one. And it tells you how long they had been down there and how much sediment layer would cover over and then another one. And, another. and he dug, he did excavation on a wreck that turned into three wrecks, one on top of each other, totally different years or centuries almost. Yeah. It, it was freaking amazing. Now that's a spot. I mean, how often do you find something like that? One, one discovery for three wrecks. Yeah. And but I'm just a- looking at this. It's, I mean, it's hard to imagine how much it costs to work on something that's a mile deep. Just huge. Now, are are you talking about uh, the the article that's from the ancient origins, or are you talking about the world's oldest? Well, the world's oldest. I was just looking at some of that where they talk about the twenty-three meter vessel undisturbed yeah. for twenty-four hundred years, and I'm looking yeah. at the pictures, and you obviously don't have a lot of turbidity down there. Or nobody touched the bottom because that picture is very, very crisp. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is a slightly different article. This one is out of The Guardian, but it's been all over the Internet the last week. And uh, what, what he's talking about is archaeologists have found what they believe the world's oldest intact shipwreck at the bottom of the Black Sea where it appears to have lain undisturbed for 2,400 years. The 23-meter, 70-foot, 5-foot vessel thought to be ancient Greek, was discovered with a mast, rudder, and rowing benches all present and correct just over a mile below the surface. A lack of oxygen to depth preserved it, the researcher said. A ship surviving intact from the classical world lying over two kilometers of water is something I would never believe possible, said Professor John Adams, principal investigator of the Black Sea Maritime Archaeology Project, MAP, the team that made the find. This will change our understanding of shipbuilding and seafaring in the ancient world. The ship is believed to have been the trading vessel of the type that researchers say only previously had been on the side of an ancient Greek pottery, such as the Siren Vase in the British Museum. That work, which dates from about the same period, depicts a similar vessel bearing Odysseus uh, past the sirens when Homeric, the hero, lashed to the mast to resist their songs. The team reportedly said they intended to leave the vessel where it is where it was found, but added that small piece have been carbon dated by the University of Southampton and claim results confirmed it is the oldest intact shipwreck known to mankind. The team said the data would be published at the Black Sea MAP conference in 
at the Welcome Collection in London later this week. Is are among more than 60 shipwrecks found by international team of archaeologists, scientists, and maritime surveyors, which have been on a three-year mission to explore the depths of the Black Sea to gain greater understanding and impact of prehistoric sea level changes. They said the find, the find varied in age from 17th century Cossack raiding fleet through Roman trading vessels, complete with amphorae and a complete ship from the classical period. The documentary team made a two-hour film that is due to be shown to the British Museum on Tuesday. Uh, but th- that f- that image there, and I'm going to zoom in on it, but that is absolutely amazing. It's uh, what we always kind of say that we get in the Great Lakes. Uh, yeah. Except for this one is at least 10 times older. Wow. That is phenomenal. I mean, it, it just looks like it, it settled right to the bottom and then leaned over. Yeah. And I bet you that silt's like powder. If you got down and stirred it up, it would just go everywhere. Yeah. If you if you touch it, it's going to be. That's a good shot from the other ROV of the other ROV, you know. Mm-hmm. Very nice pictures. Beautiful. Well, and then it kind of tells you how much of that, you know, inside the vase was artistic license and how much was literal. And they, it, it's pretty close. You can recognize they're the same style of vessel. I'm I'm really curious, though, if that is the oldest. And the reason I say that is I was looking up some other material the other day on uh, paddle boats. And I looked at some of the designs, and it's like, just because you didn't have steam power doesn't mean you didn't have paddle boats. And the Chinese had some very interesting designs a long time ago. I was going to see if I could refine it to see what years uh, – the boat pictures I was looking at were, but they actually had them where you had human-powered paddle boats, China. They had one with the drawing that they had oxen on a boat walking on this that would make the paddle boat work. And this is, you're talking a long time ago, so I, I got to find out what that was, what year that was. Yeah. Well, they, they said this one's dating from 400 BC, but wasn't there a... Uh a vessel that the Egyptians had buried next to one of the pyramids? Well, I would, Cleopatra I would, had, had their barge. They had their barges. They had their, you know, their sailing ships. And I'm looking here. It said the naval history of China dates back thousands of years with archives existing since the late spring and autumn period of 722 B.C., 481 B.C., about the uh, ancient Navy of China and the various ship types used in the war. And this is part of what I was looking at is how'd they power it? And that's why I just brought that up. I thought it was interesting. Here I am talking thousands of years for the Chinese, and this one here is 2,400 it was. Yeah. I, I That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that one in Egypt, I guess, wouldn't count in comparison to this since it wasn't technically a shipwreck. It's just a ship from that time period. So Okay, I just found a, it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to butt in there, but here's the other one. World's oldest shipwreck reveals incredible cargo, accidentally discovered by a Turkish sponge diver in 1982. The remains of the 3,300-year-old, and I cannot pronounce the name, U-L-U-B-U-R-U-N, shipwreck, lie 10 meters, 10 kilometers off the coast of southern Turkey. Now, 3,300 is older than that one. Yeah, that is, is certainly older. 
Oh, and this and also references my friend, George Bass, the one I was telling about. Yeah. But so, you know, this is almost like it's relative, isn't it? Here I'm saying, and maybe it's the oldest one they found, 2400. And this one here is 3300. And this is from 2013, by the way. Yeah. Well, I think this one, what they're getting at is intact. So they're probably saying, well, ours is in better shape. Could be. I accept this one here was a little larger than that one because it had 20 tons of cargo, <laughs> both raw and materials and finished goods. Careful mapping of the distribution of objects allowed the excavators to distinguish between the cargo and the crew's personal belongings. The cargo included items from seven different cultures, Messinian, Greek, the Syro-Palestinian, forerunners of the Phoenicians, Cypriots, Egyptian, Kassite, Assyrian, and Nubian. It included 10 tons of Cypriot copper in the form of 350 oxide ingots. Oxide refers to the shape of the ingots, which had four legs or handles for easy lifting. There was also a ton of 10 ingots of unknown origin. The copper and tin were designed to be melted into bronze. Uh, so I think the cargo here way exceeds how much that other ship could have possibly carried. Yeah, I agree. Should, should I keep going on? Sure. I'm looking at the pictures, and it's like, damn. Uh, the earliest known ingot, intact ingots of glass were present on this ship. There were 175 of them, discoid in shape, some colored turquoise and others cobalt blue. There's also a ton of Tiberian, T-E-R-E-B-I-N-T-H, resin, contained in 150 Canaanite jars. The resin was possibly used for incense, or the jars uh, could have originally contained wine, and the resin added to prevent growth of bacteria. And I am looking at some of the pictures, and some of these goblets are out freaking standing. Uh, more exotic objects were ebony logs from Egypt, elephant trunks, hippopotamus teeth to create ivory inlays, tortoise shells, uh, they were to be used as sound boxes for musical instruments, as the loot, ostrich eggshells used for containers, and Baltic amber beads from Northern Europe. I talk about money on this, son of a gun. Uh, the ship is 15 meters long. The earliest known example of a ship constructed using advanced mortise and tendon techniques where planks were joined by flat tongues of wood inserted into slots cut planks. That's quite interesting. It is. I'm trying to find how deep this is, but it does not sound like it was a mile deep, not if they excavated all of this. It sounds like something that was probably covered up, which would it, which would aid in it being oh, somewhat ab- preserved. Absolutely. Uh, let's see what else it says here. I mean, it's talking about, I can't even pronounce half these words here. It's a, talking about a dating of a branch of freshly cut firewood aboard the ship. <clears throat> Excuse me. Suggested a date on this item of sinking was 1306 BCE for the sinking of the ship, which fits rather well with the presence of the seal of Nephrodite, whose high uh, husband reigned during the mid 14th century BCE. Don't know what all that means, but it sounds. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll let you get back to your normal stuff. <laughs> that I mean, I'm looking at the cargo, and that's that's amazing. Well, we'll, we'll 
do this next one as our last article. And this one is uh, South Carolina officials warn, warn about flushable wipes after sending divers into raw sewage. Officials with the Charleston South, oh, the Charleston water system in South Carolina were caught in a smelly situation. They had to send scuba divers roughly 80 to 90 feet down into raw sewage Thursday to clear heaping piles of wipes that clogged the system. The Charleston water system shared pictures of blackened masses on Twitter, warning residents wipes don't really disintegrate, though the packaging men claim they're flushable. You know, wipes clog pipes, right? If not, baby wipes clog a series of large pumps at the Plum Island wastewater treatment plant Thursday afternoon, the Charleston water system wrote on Twitter, adding, we work 24-7 to get them out. Divers swam through wet, raw sewage in complete darkness using their hands to find the source of the obstruction. As we expected, they came up with these large masses of wipes in the first two loads. With more to come, officials in the water system wrote, adding divers also removed a baseball and a big piece of metal. Don't flush stuff like this, officials warned. Joking, of course, but you should only flush number one, number two, and toilet paper. How many showers would it take to feel clean after the mission, one man asked. Folks who carried this out are remarkably dedicated. The water system responded by saying divers are hosed down with straight bleach before they're able to remove their dry suits. Now, Mac, you've you've been in contamination situations like this. Even with the gear on, can you still smell it? Oh, uh, generally not until later. <laughs> until later? Yeah. And then it's just a funk that hangs around you? Yeah. These, these guys are not scuba, by the way. These guys are hard hat with Viking suits, good helmets, and umbilicals. I'm, I'm looking at the picture of them. Yeah. They're, when they're he said scuba, a, it's like, nah, I don't think so. No, I mean, it, they're, they're using surface-applied air. And, yes, absolutely. And you don't want to, like, go to your bailout in that situation. <laughs> I, well, here. you can in this one because the bailout is connected to a, a manifold that if you were to lose surface air, you valve it on. You don't take a regulator out of your mouth. That's okay. Because right. that would not be really cool. <laughs> I don't think you want to. <laughs> oh. That it's a whole different meaning for a braille dive. Yeah, because I'm looking at the pictures here, and these guys are commercial. This is not uh, your mom and pop shop. Let me tell you that, because the de- the deconning is right up is right up the where it should be. Yeah. So they but said you're they right. Used... That's that's a gross picture. Uh, like I said, when we used to dive sewage, we always talked about it was thirty dollars an hour and all you could eat. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, pass. Next. <laughs> Even though I, I'm sure we're not too many steps from that, it's uh, still not quite full raw sewage. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you were mentioning uh, last because last week when we talked about this was uh, it wasn't the worst job wasn't necessarily a diver it was the tender. That's I, I did a uh, job up at uh, in Lansing at their sewer plant. They did what they call a tie-in. And what we did is we construct, and they had a secondary line coming in, and they wanted to increase the um, capacity of the system, but they never wanted to take it down. So they made a parallel system, got it almost all completed, and then what they did is made a big concrete, basically, square block around the existing pipe with the new pipe feeding into it. So the last job was to go down, 
They reduced the flow rate in the major pipe, broke the pipe in half with hammer or uh, sledgehammers, obviously picking up the pieces and stuff. So when it flooded the container you were now in, then you could finish breaking the pipe. So it basically had two of them feeding into the big chamber now. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So they could then continue their their flushing, you know, their processing without having to come to a complete stop. And it was really a unique way to, you know, we were down for a couple hours, so we got everything flowing again. But it saved them days of time if you had to do it a different way. Oh, could you imagine it? <laughs> Everybody, okay, don't flush. Yeah. But the other part is when you came out, it's like you got toilet paper, you name it. And I'm, you know, I'm totally intact. I'm, I'm dry. I got double seals on everything. And that poor guy hauling up my line is, <laughs> is, is really gross. Yeah. And, I, and odiferous. Well, like you're in your yard, just imagining when you, when you start reeling up the hose and you've dragged it through sand and how dirty it is. And that's just sand. <laughs> well, you know how it is when you go by the porta potties and you're sucking the stuff out. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Ugh. So no, those those guys handling the lines, uh, they sure as heck earn their money whenever work. Yeah, they're like thinking I, said, I can't. I can't wait till they probably think I can't wait till I'm diving and I don't have to do this. All I know is nuclear diving is the best. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, it. The only thing you got to worry about mostly there is going to be hot spots and. The thermal, meaning the, the water is freaking warm. You know, you're talking 80 up to 120 degrees, depending on how much it can cool it down for you. So your your concern is staying dry or staying cool. I mean, we put cold air down to help wear an ice vest. But other than that, you got great visibility. Unless you just, you know, hit a hot particle, you're fine. Well, that do, does it for <laughs> Scuba the News. <laughs> I, I, I think we've... Uh taking that to the end of its run yeah and i'm trying to remember since we've done this all before i'm trying to remember what to uh last time had anybody gotten any dives in i know we had talked about uh kevin of course has been diving a a lot well they did the adaptive diving class oh yes at Moby's. uh that was a three-day class where you would get certified to work with uh those with handicaps from Mm -hmm. Autism through being a quadriplegic. Yeah. Uh, so it's a three-day class. There's a, um, I think it's November the 17th, there's actually where you get an opportunity to use your new training working with individuals at the um, Mary Freebed. That'll be up in Grand Rapids. So I know the uh, the new graduates are looking forward to that. I think Bob was one. Yep. Uh, Kevin. Uh... Kevin for sure. I think. Karen did, but I didn't see her in the picture. So we've got a few of the muddies in that group. Yeah. And, and then I it. know they, they did some work, like I said, up in Sagatuck, trying to recover the remains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they got wet at this time, but they got a lot of water time and search time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, have, have the Thursday Thursdays uh, started up or the Thursday Thursday afternoons at this point? Well, they really haven't got... A couple of times we've been out, but the, the river continues to get, we have the rain, visibility goes right away, and the current has not, normally this time of year, it's it's pretty stagnant, not stagnant, it's not really going fast. Well, 
this yeah. year has been an exception. So they haven't had a lot of thirsty Thursday dives out there because of the, the weather and the environment. It's just not conducive. Yeah. I think the bec- the the next biggest dive we have that will have participation will be November 24th, and that's the turkey dive. Turkey dive. Right. That'll be probably scheduled for uh, Riverview Park and Benton Harbor with an alternate, probably Whirlpool yep. Basin, depending on the weather. Yep. And that's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So that you is can correct. work off all that uh, turkey and pie and cranberries. Well, yeah, it's also but- a good pre-dive for if you're going to do the New Year's dive. Otherwise, yep. we usually have one sometime in December to get you ready for cold, cold water if you haven't been in yet, yeah. and or the ice if, in case we have ice. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm I kind of thinking we won't have ice for New Year's this year, but I could be wrong. It's it's so far out to, to make that prediction. Well, you figure, you know, how many shopping days till Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to know. Of course, I, I, I am ahead of my shopping days. I have mm-hmm. already bought my wife's birthday and Christmas gifts, so. That was the, that was the new horse, so that will uh, that that goes good. That takes care of me for a while. It's like seventy days or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not a it's lot, not, guys. It's not a lot at all, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, with the Halloween coming up, I just that used to be my favorite holiday, and now it's just whipping by. I feel like I'm on a train, and the calendar is just screaming alongside of me. Oh, my folks always used to say the days they do drag, weeks they do fly. And one of those, you get older and it it appears to be that way. Oh, man. I mean, you blink and it's like, what? What happened in the summer? Yeah, it's it's just a going. Yeah, if you don't plan your dives and plan to get out, you won't. I've got to put them on the calendar. Well, I've I've got friends who we used to do stuff with every other weekend. And the last three years, I haven't done anything. So just trying to. It's kind of like I'm tumbling through time. I need to like grab onto something and get some things scheduled. Well, it's like when we talk about diving, you've got to have a dive partner, divers, you know, because if you don't have somebody to, to dive with, to go out, and even if they're not diving, but to help you, or you oh, to, yeah. you know, river spot, you won't go. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to all work together, get that plan, join a dive club. Uh, a dive and, club helps because at least you've got a, a whole bunch of people. If you got one or two you dive with, somebody gets sick, a little bit older, it cuts you right out. You may be ready and willing, but you got used to going with certain people and you don't go anymore. Yeah. Nice thing about Dive Club, it seems like if you want to say, hey, can anybody want to go out this Sunday, there's at least two or three people willing to go with you. Especially during the summer if they got boats. Yeah. You can always find somebody to go especially if you're going on a wreck. Oh, about the only other big thing is I got a presentation at the Morton House Museum on Saturday. It'll be Saturday evening. They're having their um, soup and salad night. And it's also the basic contributors and mucky mucks of the, I shouldn't say mucks, but the people who are the people who run the museum. That's their night. And it's one of the few times you have to go pay to hear me. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm looking forward to that. I'm doing uh, What Lies Beneath the Waters of Southwest Michigan. Uh, I will, of course, put a plug in for that preserve because that's part of the spiel. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that, and it goes well. But you do learn a lot when you go to a, to a museum like that. 
and they let you have access to their research facilities and looking at stuff. It's amazing what you can dig up that you won't normally find. Well, good luck on that. Uh, yeah. Ho- hopefully that goes well for you. I'm I'm expecting it to. I've been practicing a little bit. I think Jim is going to get me a backup projector. I always dread going someplace without two projectors because I can't mm-hmm. do the – it's very hard to do a presentation when you're using slides to show items yeah. like visibility on a shipwreck or something. Yeah, you, it, it's hard to do it without slides. Yeah, yeah, we're we're with a with a nice projector. Uh, it's just hard to beat that. Yeah, so, I do have a safety item today. Okay, so trust go me. ahead. Uh, it's called Five Tips for the Best Safety Spot or Stop, not Spot. Um, every dive should end with a safety stop, but being close to the surface makes buoyancy a challenge in many cases. Without the right technique, you might find yourself ascending unintentionally. So here are five tips for making safety stops look easy. Number one, slow. Slow ascent. Keep your eye on your computer or depth gauge. Make sure you ascend no faster than 30 feet per minute. Remember to vent the expanding air from your BC as you go up. And always send a surface marker up if you're ascending away from your boat. Number two is proper positioning. Once you get at your 15 feet, position yourself head up. Keep your depth gauge at chest level so your torso stays at the right depth. Third is steady as she goes. If you're holding the down line attached to a boat, grab the line loosely with one hand, arm outstretched to prevent the line from pulling you up and down. Fourth is time it. Every diver should time their own safety stop. Don't rely on another diver. And I know that's a hard one there because quite often you do. And if you do that, I would overcompensate than undercompensate. And the last part is swim slowly. Divers often get into the habit that once the safety stop is over, they fend to the boat as fast as they want. But that final 15 feet are still the most dangerous part of the game for long overexpansion injuries. Ascend the final 15 feet at the the same slow 30 feet per minute rate. That'll enhance your abilities to have a safe and non-eventful ascent. It's a good good tip. (laughs) Yeah, that's... That's a good tip. That's what I've thought uh, or I agree with is that that last 15 feet, even in the river, there's been times where you, you come up and down, up and down, and it's just that that wears on me more than doing a couple uh, deep wreck dives uh, that up and down in the river. Well, the river, I think it's a good place that if you're working in something that's got a hole and around here, 20 feet probably be the max. But if you sort of get carried by the current and you're going up and down, you're really not a paying attention to your set rate because you're fighting the current. You're trying to stay, you know, heads toward, you know, head up towards the river. So you're not getting blown into yep. something and you can really get yourself in trouble in the river or any place with a good current. Well, case in point, remember South Carolina, shark teeth diving in that river. Oh yeah. I mean, they wanted you out of the boat and down on the bottom now. And you're, doing, you're talking Braille, right? Yeah. You knew you were on the bottom when you hit it, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you had no vis. And then going back up with that current, yeah, it was quite be, interesting, wasn't it? Because was. you can't see. You had to put that your your depth gauge right into your mask to see something. Yeah, that was that that was definitely uh, some uh, dark water diving. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to thank everybody who turned out in the chat room for the the second attempt at this. We had Derek and Eric. Uh, there for a little bit and uh, if 
If you want to follow us, you can go on our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. And we say on the website uh, that there isn't anything to join. I, I know I had some emails this week of people who are trying to create an account on the website. And that's not really what we're doing. But if you want to contact us, uh, there's a contact form, which I'll double check to make sure that's still working. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. You can send us an email at the show at scuba obsessed and that will get to us. Um, I think that's it. I'm trying to, uh, I'm now on Twitter at, at scuba obsessed on Twitter. So one of those ways, if you really need to get a hold of us, but, uh, you know, and, and we appreciate all our listeners, you know, whether you can support us or not, but if you can support us, head on over to our scuba obsessed website, click on the Patreon link and, uh, you know, uh, $3 or more will get you early access to the show notes. And it's very much appreciated. We're coming up to that time of the year where we got to renew a bunch of hosting agreements. And that's a big chunk of change that we have to put out to keep everything going. You know, we've got hosting for the podcast. We got hosting for the websites. Um, it's just, you know, little, little odds and ends. And, uh, that money certainly helps us out and, and give us some feedback. If you want to see us do some things a little different, I'm the, still have, a, have on my list of getting some interviews. And I think this is probably the one of the longest stretches I've gone without having a bunch of interviews lined up, but we're working through this uh, changing of audio re- uh, recording style in uh, you know, a couple more weeks. We should be good to go and we'll start getting some people on. Well, hopefully that we'll be able to get Taurus from AT Recovery since they believe they have discovered the Chikora. Uh, I'm trying to get them to do a presentation at the museum. Mm-hmm. which would be good because if nothing else, we could go up there and maybe record it and use that online, yeah. one of our podcasts, and then maybe do an interview afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do something like that. Well, and the second part is what they're trying to do is get coordinated with the museum is if they he wants to put down an ROV with the camera and then televise it to local schools. So you can have right now live, we're going to go down and see – what this boat is, and is it really the Chikora? Yeah. But that would be quite I, interesting. And they want to broadcast that at the museum for interested parties. I now, I that agree. would be cool. That'd be absolutely amazing. So hopefully that comes to be. So we'll keep an eye on out for, uh, out for that. Did and I tell yeah. you about the uh, submarine, by the way, the UC-97? Uh, re- refresh my mind. I'm, I'm... Well, I, you know... Eighteen, actually, Torres found that also several years ago. And the last time they went out and looked at it, they were extremely surprised by how little rust is on the hull. There is some, you know, quaggas and what have you. But he reviewed it. I didn't realize there were 17 rounds fired at the submarine. They went and found the holes, and he says he will bet you a dollar that if he seals those holes, which in, in a sub is pretty easy to do, uh, plugs that up, dewaters the hull just a little bit from down there. He said he believes that sucker's going to float just like a big bobbin. Now, that would be amazing to see that. And like he said, though, the issue is not bringing it up, which he, he anticipates would cost about a million to a million and a half, and that's why he's looking for a corporate sponsor, uh, is what do you do with it when you got it so you can move it someplace? Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to put it in a place that one is wet, so it doesn't rust until you can put it into a place like they did the uh, the Huntley. Yeah, well, I'm I'm thinking that this sounds like a perfect uh, uh, museum of science and industry project. 
you extend their exhibit where they've got the other submarine. Right. And then you have a tank, you conserve it there. And then the end result is the tank that you're conserving it in eventually gets drained and that becomes the display. Yeah. And not to mention, I would go take a look at that sucker being restored. That would oh, be yeah. quite an adventure. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to look at it when they first got it in later and then at the end of it. So you can do a comparison. Yeah. And I also wonder if that's true and they could do that. Like with the uh, 97, they got the, not the, not the 505. That was, you know, that, did we talk about that already? 505 that's over in Chicago? I think so, but I when, mean, When they ahead. bought that and got it, it was completely stripped. Yes. Yeah, we did talk about that. Right. And the, and the German company says, you know, this is German, blah, blah. We have equipment. We'd like to replace it to it would be identical to what it was. I wonder if they do have parts and pieces for the 97. Hmm. I don't know. It'd it'd be interesting, and I'm sure they'd be looking for the original plan so they could do any restoration according to the plan. Yeah. Well, hopefully they can get something together because you really have to do all the parts. You have to do the uh, bringing it up, the restoration, the storing of it, and the display and preservation once it's done. Right. So you, you want to have that all phased, all pre-funded, uh, put in the schedule. But it would it could be a nice project. Uh, and where else could you see uh, both of those vessels? Right. Well, I like the other reference they had gone. You know, he was out there looking for aircraft. And mm-hmm. they're really in a hurry to find them because the quaggas and the zebras are putting themselves everywhere, including the, airfra- the airframes. And my yeah. understanding, their secretions somehow react metal in a not good way now wasn't he saying that he's got planes that he has found he's just waiting for people to fund them to bring them up and restore them correct because it's like you know you've got them but if you bring it up it's really going to deteriorate quicker than leaving it right there so you have to have them all right there i mean you've got the air zoo in uh kalamazoo but i mean there's only so much room they've got Correct, and they have to have so much funds to be able to do something. Yeah. But again, you're running out of one of the kind boat or aircraft. Yeah. Yeah, You got to fund it and do it now because it's not going to last forever. And like always, people say, what do you really want to find out there? And he says, well, I'd really like to find a UFO. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly right. That's what you want to find. Yeah. The boats are nice. Airplanes are great. I want to find a UFO. Well, are you ready for that time of the show? I am. I got my feet raised up. I'm ready. Okay. So here we go. Two elderly divers were eating breakfast at a restaurant one morning. Ralph noticed something funny about Howard's ear, and he said, Howard, did you know you have a suppository in your left ear? Howard answered, I have a suppository. He pulls it out, stares at it. He then said, Ralph, I'm glad you saw this thing. Now I think I know where my hearing aid is. Uh, bad but yeah I, I think you would notice at least I would hope so but who knows <laughs> so until next time go out there and get wet and stay safe <laughs> <laughs>